Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and reviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is Aaron. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. You can also find us at bff.fm every Monday morning from 5.30 to 6. Uh, you can also find us very soon at Cobb's Comedy Club coming up on Sunday, September 8th. We are uh, helping to promote a show called Really Funny Comedians Who Happen to Be Women. Uh, the lineup is Irene Two. We have Sandy Steck. We also have Natasha Muse, and it's hosted by Chelsea Bierce. I also hear that there's going to be some fun drop-in comedians. So uh, grab your tickets at CobbsComedyClub.com. Again, that's going to be Sunday, September 8th at Cobbs Comedy. Really funny comedians who happen to be women. So please, please, please support women in comedy. Support your local podcast. Support your bitches at Bitch Talk. All right? Um, we are jumping into our two-part interview and rewinding back to almost this time last year. Um, we were celebrating our 300th episode, and we really got lucky and interviewed uh, CNN host uh, W. Kamau Bell. Uh, he's a local guy. He uh, is over in Berkeley. And we uh, tweeted at him and asked for an interview, and he said yes, and he invited us to his offices, and uh, we got a really great interview, which happened to be about 45 minutes. So we're going to break this one up for you. This is W. Kamau Bell, part one, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> so uh, welcome, W. Kamau Bell, to Bitch Talk. We really appreciate your time, so thanks for being here. Well, well thanks for telling me I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the official tweeter, so okay, you're no, welcome. It, was, it, didn't, it didn't feel like an option, so I said, okay, well, let's good. Do <laughs> it. Was, it was the natural next step for your career. It so, was. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. <laughs> you're going to get the Bitch Talk bump after All this. Right, well, I got, I got inspired after watching um, your uh, your show on Netflix, uh, Private School Negro, so um, I had to I had to tweet at you. I had to. I, I, and I read, I read, I don't know if I read all of them, but I, tr- I read most of them. Yeah. yeah there's well, probably a few I miss. And, yeah. and right now, before you came in, we were staring at this uh, picture, and my friend here, Angela, was like, oh, it's blind spotting officially right now, which we just saw the film, and we heard that you just saw the I film. I saw it last night, yes. We yes. interviewed those guys yesterday. Oh, wow. It's, um, oh, but you did yeah. the official Q&A, so you're I mean, there's, there's a lot of official Q&As. How did you feel about that film? I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was hilarious. Uh-huh. I thought it was adventurous, bold. I thought it was not trying to take care of your feelings, which is important in art, mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I w- it was surprising because you just don't know that. Div- I didn't. I don't. I just know David Diggs is. I didn't know him when he lived here. I was mm-hmm. not in that artsy cool circle, so <laughs> uh, so I just knew him as like, oh, the guy next to Lin Manuel in Hamilton, who's from Oakland. Oh, he's in Blackish. Good for him. He's, <laughs> he's good. He's a good actor. You know. Right. So to see the trailer and then to see the movie, you just and then his friend Raphael, who I also was not aware of. I'm like, oh, these are major stars and major thinkers and major artists that, you know, I know the Bay has a ton of people like that. Mm-hmm. I also know specifically Oakland. I also know that we're that we're not the Bay is not good of raising those people out of here. And a lot of times the culture of the Bay is such that you can f- be semi-professional and think you're being professional. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Talking about blind spotting and talking about the Bay and talking about Oakland, there's a real focus right now on Oakland yeah. and the East Bay in general and you're part of that focus what do you think it feels pretty good it feels pretty good to sort of like and also me I feel pretty good about the fact that I was saying the words Oakland and Bay Area and the Bay mm-hmm. nationally 
before like the New York Times said it was okay That's to right. say. You know, so <laughs> I feel like people from here, even though I'm not born here, feel like I was a pretty good representative and been repping Oaklandish for years. And mm-hmm. so I just feel like so that as much as I know I'm not David or Boots Riley right. or Raphael or or E forty or you know, yeah. any number of people. Uh, Steve Kerr I feel like I got more than Steve Kerr I mean I know he's done a lot Steph Curry Steph, okay Steph, fine yeah. Yeah. they're superstars they, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Kevin Durant suddenly has more Bay cred than I do well, how no, no, no no never no, are you kidding not, no. but I know that like uh, you know I, it's important to me to rep the Bay you can't do it accurately but feel like I have the spirit of the Bay when I go out into the world and represent the Bay and so for me like to just have a little cameo in Sorry to Bother You. Feels spoiler like, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> nothing Wait, is spoiled. We don't go there. Don't yeah, we haven't yeah, even spoiler. touched on that. Sorry, spoiler. sorry. But then to just to have, like I hadn't ever talked to, I had never met David until they his people reached out and said they want you to do the Q&A. And then we talked on the phone and it was clear that he knew my work and Raphael knew my work and they'd already seen Private School Negro. And so it was just like, it felt like, you know, it's just for a kid who grew up sort of never being at the cool kids table. It sort of feels cool to suddenly find out that you're sitting in the middle of the cool kids table and you didn't even hmm. know it. You know, you're sitting at the head of the cool. Kids. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, Actually, yes. Let's yes. be honest. In this right room, now. I'm at the head of the kids. Yeah. Table. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly just because it's my office. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was trying to not trying. I was doing homework and, and looking a, a lot of things up last night, but I couldn't figure out and couldn't connect the dots on how you actually ended up. Back in the Bay, because you were born in Palo Alto, is that correct? Yes, or is Wikipedia yeah. totally wrong? No, they're right about that. Okay, good. <laughs> Some things are right about. But how yeah. did you wind up back here? Uh, I I moved back here in 97 because okay. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And specifically, I came here for San Francisco. I lived in Oakland because that's where we found a cheap apartment. Right, right. Back when Oakland had cheap apartments. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, and so I moved back here because I wanted to be, I started doing stand-up comedy in San, in Chicago and I just the scene wasn't that good. It wasn't really supportive. I wasn't doing well. And I was looking for a place to move where I could find a comedy scene that I felt like I could like grow in. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco, has specifically San Francisco, not to take anything from Oakland, but San Francisco is known nationally as a, as a good comedy scene. Mm-hmm. And so I came and visited and loved it and like met Margaret Cho immediately and suddenly felt like and she was like you're funny and I'm like I'm gonna move to San Francisco (laughs) (laughs) so I did I moved to the bay and I lived in Oakland but very quickly after I got out here I realized oh I'm more at home in Oakland Mm -hmm. I just but my scene is in San Francisco and at the time maybe still this way like I worked in Berkeley lived in Oakland and I would go to San Francisco like three or four times a week four or five times a week really to do comedy and I remember just learning then how separate the bay was like Mm -hmm. I was saying to a guy like he's like what are you doing I'm like I'm going to San Francisco he's like man you were just in San Francisco last night Mm -hmm. as if I was talking about Paris (laughs) 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 that's two stops away on BART (laughs) downtown Berkeley BART and it's 10 minutes you know whatever 20 minutes and I sort of always made the back and forth, and I had friends in San Francisco, and they'd be like, and I started dating my wife, and she lived in Oakland, and so I was always, I was ended up staying at her house, even though I had an apartment in San Francisco, so I was always going back and forth across the bay, and in San Francisco, I'd invite my friend Kevin Avery, who I've done a ton of things mm-hmm. with, be like, hey, you want to come to my uh, girlfriend's party in Oakland? He's like, ah, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, yeah. It's like, you can drive longer in San Francisco sometimes than it takes to get to Oakland, but right. it's just, so I've always been very sort of aware that I was always d- sort of bending rules by going back and forth so much but always aware so then i was here till 2012 i think it was till mm-hmm. after the birth of my first daughter mm-hmm. and then i went to need oh so how did i get here yeah so, so yeah that's how so that's, i came back here for comedy okay. yeah and then i left to go to do new york for the tv show but that, that's how i came back here and at the time 
I, it wasn't my dad is the one who pointed out that like, well, you know, you were born in Palo Alto, so you're kind of going home. And I was like, right. huh. And it didn't really, I was just like, I want to go to San Francisco. I was born in some place called Palo Alto that I've right. never really spent any time in and don't have any connection to. And then the longer I've been out here, I was like, well, I am a native Californian, yeah. even though I was mm-hmm. left before I was two years old. Mm-hmm. Like I, and so I feel good. The longer I live out here, the more I feel like I can claim my, I sort of like, I am a West Coast person. I yeah. just, all my life I've been in Chicago Boston, Alabama, but my DNA is of the West Coast, you know. Well, well, you had this um, incident at the Elmwood Cafe in 2015 in Berkeley, right where we are today. And um, if you we're not not in the cafe, no, (laughs) (laughs) we decided to record in the cafe. (laughs) Uh, Guys, I really don't want to do that. Uh, Let's send the manager over right now. Get on mic. No, but um, (laughs) if you could speak to that incident, and does it is does things like that make it harder for you to to love the Bay? Are, Are you struggling with like the gentrification and things like that? No, I mean, I think you you can love something and be critical of it, and nothing is perfect, and there's no place in the country where you can live and find out, and it's always going to be your friend. Literally in your house, people can come into your house and say you're in the wrong place. You know, that's, (laughs) you know, some guy amongst the numerous social media videos of of black people being harassed or people of color being harassed for just being in public spaces or spaces they should be in, some guy was like, at his apartment building at the swimming pool and had all these videos of people coming to him over the course of time saying, what are you doing at the swimming pool? I live here, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's no place you can go and feel like it's always going to be good. So, so for me, it's like, and there's no place you can go in America and not deal with racism as a person of color. There's not one place. Like, so like, even if you live in deep in the so-called hood and never leave the hood, you're dealing with structural and institutionalized racism because of where you live and the lack of resources and the lack of, you know, so it's like, there's no place you can go. So for me, it's like, what's the flavor of racism I can deal with the best? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, mm. what's the yeah. flavor of racism that's the most sort of acceptable for me? And I'd say it's Bay racism. <laughs> that Bay racism yeah, was yeah, your yeah. perfect yeah. fit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a little incident with Bay racism just last week at the local Benihana in Japan town. Wow. And I had to channel my W. Kamel Bell and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg voice wow, those are on two. the inside. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It was all, all the same to, for me. What channel is that on? Yeah, exactly. I will yes. watch that channel. I had to, to get in there because I had uh, six six people that were maybe in their 60s um, that we you don't know what you're going to get at Benihana when you're just a couple because you're not with the group right so you could get anything oh, yeah. so we sat down uh, right. we got anything and <laughs> they were they are I think from here but maybe more east east bay yeah. Tracy yeah. or north north bay yeah. and there was um, a point where they just stared at me and my boyfriend because he's white and I'm Asian so that was weird but we were in Japantown and the other one was that they were making fun of the Asian people right across from us as they sang happy birthday to them. What? And they were, oh yeah, it was a whole thing. So Making I was like, fun of how they, yeah, saying, yeah, happy birthday. Oh no. Um, and they were just completely rude to our Hispanic Benihana uh, chef and our Asian uh, waitress or wait person. So yeah, I had to channel you. <laughs> what is that? What is, and what does that mean that you just sort of uh, it, said? There's multiple. Like, <laughs> I wonder, I, you know what? I was thinking about you traveling around uh, the, the KKK States. episode. Yeah, and you <laughs> really you you get in there and work with these people and try and find some kind of common ground. And so I I actually didn't talk to them at all. I just ignored no, that's good. them. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. engage. No, them. I don't like know how you stand there uh, and 
and listen to this speech and and I don't know how you do it. I mean, for me, it's I didn't know how I would do it, so I'll say this: I didn't have a lot of. It's not like well, I've been hanging out with the Klan for years. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not Daryl Davis, the guy who has that documentary Occidental Courtesy, which mm. is about a guy who hangs out with the Klan all the time, black man. Oh. Uh, I don't. So for me, it was like part of it was a little bit like I want. I was also finding out what I would do. So that's why I wanted to do it because I was curious about how would I be in that situation. Mm. It was more like a experiment on myself that was being aired for television. You know? Was that initially thought of? That's going to be the first episode. I, it was, was my just... idea. I was always my first because we were like, it's going to be how a you show. It? They somebody pitched the show to CNN. CNN thought maybe this guy Kamal can do it. Then I came in and they were thinking like, Kamal goes to a country club that's like you know because it's all white people. Mm. Or Kamal goes to the rodeo mm-hmm. and hangs out with cowboys at the rodeo. And I was just like. Yeah, we can do that. Later. Exactly. (laughs) But can we, if we're going to, this is the pilot. This is, we have to get CNN to buy the show. Mm -hmm. So what can we do that at the time, Morgan Spurlock's show can't do, Lisa Ling's show can't do, Anthony Bourdain, Mm -hmm. rest in peace. Those shows can't do the wonder list, which is just about going to like amazing places that are like sort of these, the places, the picaresque places all around the world. What can I do that those shows can't do? Or if they were to do it, it would be a very different way. Lisa Ling probably had the most could do that show, but it would be more like a journalist. Not in the same vein, for sure. Not way more serious and way more like holding them to account in a way that I'm like sort of this. I'm sort of curiously scratching to see what you how you respond. And I'm also trying to get you out of your comfort zone to make you respond in ways you didn't expect. I'm not asking you sort of like explain to me why you'd be in the Klan. Like I get why you'd be in the Klan. You're a racist, you know. So, so for me, it was like. I would that was my idea and uh, and I also knew that if it ever airs on TV I will still be able to tell the story so it's like it's I just wanted to you know go big or go home and I needed the job so I felt like yeah we have to do something that is like that even on, it's from the first moment people are like what as opposed to like come out hang black guy hangs out with the rodeo maybe yeah I don't know <laughs> like, yeah. you know you know again we'll get there at some point at some point I'll be at the, oh my god <laughs> like, but we shouldn't start there right I think that well I'm pitching shows now. First, Benihana. You should just do a show. Go to, Go to Benihana's, Benihana's my happy happens. place. I love the Rocky's Choice. Right. Okay. And you should not be yeah, feeling bad at Benihana. So well, I'm pissed for did. you. But I do think that whole community seating, and it's also like a Benihana, it feels like a throwback to a, another era. Like this, It always does. That well, that's why like I feel like I'm a kid. That well, was like the fancy know, place is, I went like, for my birthday. We, and, and I think we, me and uh, Kelly were just talking about this, who I work with. Because she, her husband works in. He's a like a like a the bar manager, not a bartender, but a bar manager. Mm-hmm. And just that thing about people come into places mm-hmm. like restaurants and bars, and they think because they're paying you eight dollars for a drink that I actually own the restaurant. Oh yes, like, <laughs> like, this is my bar now, and so I talk to you as if you work for me, yep. right. not that you are serving me right. and I am giving you. I get as eight, an equal. Yeah, here's eight dollars worth of money for eight dollars worth of service. Right. Not like, well, I gave you, I bought that drink, and Benihana. By the nature of it being a performance-based thing, mm-hmm. they think that the Benihana chef is performing for them and not just performing because that's the job. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually performing for you. I'm performing because the job required is I perform. Right. You're sitting here. Mm-hmm. It's not a specific. It's not. A, I didn't do this for you. Right. And you know, if you get up and leave, I'll still be doing all the things. You know. And I think people get caught up in there sort of like everybody wants to be the king and the queen and I think that like it makes service industry jobs and as a comedian who's worked mm-hmm. it's basically works in the service right. industry and working mm-hmm. I really have a lot of empathy for those people because it's like you're just 
You're just another asshole out on a date. You're not or out for an evening. Oh, are we going to talk about the first timers that go to comedy shows that I cannot deal with? So yeah, we go to a lot of comedy <laughs> shows and there's always, always, always that couple in the front that gets way too drunk yep. and awful. Yep. How do you deal with hecklers? I mean, you know, it's uh, it, there's a weird thing because sometimes it's hard because it's, it's hard to def- – like people don't – like there's a heckler where it's like you suck, which is a very easy thing to deal with. But when people are just being loud and obnoxious and they don't even realize they're heckling and you tell them to be quiet and they're like, what? I'm just having fun. Yeah, like that's the worst. Amateur hour. It's yes. the worst because it's like you can't even explain to them why they're not. You're actually heckling. You don't realize you're heckling and you're actually ruining the good. You Again, you think you're here for your good time, but you're here to be part of a collective time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, comedy clubs. I don't perform in comedy clubs anywhere near as much as I used to because there's a point at which you want, you just, I just want the people in the room who want to be here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of comedy clubs, people go, what do you want to do tonight? You want to go to Benihana or go to a comedy club? <laughs> okay. Like they're not really, they're, they're not really distinguishing those as right, two different right. activities. Yeah. Like where do you want to spend two hours of our time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they walk into a comedy club not knowing who's on the bill, not really, just knowing that I like Adam Sandler movies, this is a comedy club, that's probably going to be Adam Sandler's going to be on stage <laughs> or Adam Sandler inspired comedians. No shade uh, to Adam Sandler. I'm just saying that like you, you that's not what's happening most times. Right. You know? Well, on the on the topic of hecklers, um, for um, United, I, I keep wanting to call it United Shades of Grey. First of all, <laughs> United Shades of America. Well, that's what other people call it Fifty Shades of America. Oh, yeah, so. maybe we can host United Shades of Grey. No, it's a, it's. I mean, people. <laughs> I'd say once a week. A lot of times, sometimes people say, "My mom just called it Fifty Shades of America or United Shades of Grey," but then some people really go, "I really love." Your work and talk about all the work you do on Fifty Shades of America. Like they, and I feel like I don't even want to correct you. Either one works though. Fifty Shades, Fifty States. Yeah, no, it's, I, I get the it Fifty works. Shades. I get the United States of Grey is where your brain is at. That's right. that's on you. Thank you. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right. No, but um, on the topic of, of hecklers, you have been getting a lot of commentary on the fact that you give the K- you give the KKK or Nazis a platform. And yeah. I love your response to that. Can you can you talk to when people talk shit about you giving them a platform and oh you shouldn't let them speak I mean I have, I have I have it's fine, I don't know which one I've I've been ta- asked this about so many times so I have like sort of multiple responses depending upon who I'm talking to and how much time I have to answer the question so <laughs> you have 30 minutes okay good uh, so there's two so things there. one uh, giving them a platform I feel like is lazy was late is, is our lazy words because it implies that like I go on this week in the United Shades of America, I'm going to take the week off and the Klan is going to host a show <laughs> <laughs> yes. as if the Klan has access to like it's all of the Klan's Klanness is filtered through me and my perspective. It's very clear where I stand. It's very it's very clear that I, I get the final choice of edit. It's very clear that I'm like, this is wrong and I don't agree with this. And that's because I'm not a journalist. I don't have to do the thing where I go explain why you don't like black people. Like, as if there's a reason to understand why somebody doesn't, like, or if I ask, I'm sort of like, could you explain this? I'm asking in a, in a way, right. like, come on, dude. This, not, this is crazy, right? Not yeah. like the same way that you a journalist would ask, explain why you voted for this bill, you know, to explain politician why you support this bill. It's not this, I'm not giving the same level of, of weight to this. And the other thing is, is like, more knowledge, and this is what my mom taught me, more knowledge is always better than less knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. many people in this country, for the, for every person, for every person who was like, why would you give this, the KKK a platform? There was 10 times that many people going, oh my God, I didn't know the KKK still existed. Jeez. So it was like, mm-hmm. I, I get that you don't want to see this, just turn it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's so many more people who are like, who every week are fighting about something that they had no idea existed and therefore are smarter and better, ed- and, and better Americans because of it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, better humans. Forget America. Better humans. Better humans. <laughs> uh, you've had a pretty long career already and, and doing so it's well. Coming I mean, to the end. Yeah. Huh? It's coming to the end. No, you're, no, getting, the, not. you're getting the I, bitch talk bump. Yeah, Didn't we already right talk here. about this? Yeah. Well, it's like when I get the Emmy nominations, I say to my wife, like, we get it. It's like a show business extension. Like, we get another year get, in show yeah. business because you, you get to sort of ride that Emmy nomination for a year or so, right. you know, so. Oh, and I, we are celebrating, sorry, just to, we are celebrating the Emmy nomination with yeah. some champagne today. Yeah. So yeah. congratulations, I, I nominations. I finished mine. Multiple. Oh, oh we have more. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I mean, it's Friday. Well, I didn't know how you thirsty want. you'd it's be. It's not Friday. I have a one-month-old daughter, oh. so that's But good. you have flowers, so it's I do fine. have flowers. Okay. <laughs> Honey, here's flowers. I'm going to bed. It's three in the afternoon. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. No, but I mean, you came here to do comedy, and you're on CNN now. Mm-hmm. If you can give a brief description yeah, on how that how does that happen? In a five-minute... Uh, yeah. yeah, no, but I mean, it is such a—it's a huge jump. I—I I mean, I think that the—the the, the reason why it happened is because at some point, like in two thousand nine, two thousand seven, I stopped trying to pursue what I thought show my showbiz career was supposed to be, and just started to do work I thought was interesting. And so, which means you hmm. sort of are sort of by nature of that following your nose, like, oh, I want to do something like this, and you, instead of like going to the punchline every Sunday night and sort of like doing my seven to ten minutes and going, when is show business going to make me famous? Mm. I basically was like, I'm going to go write a one-man show, a solo show about ending racism and I'm going to get a computer, bring my computer and get a screen and show clips and slides. Mm. And and I don't even know what the show is, but that's just, I'm going to give it a title and I'm going to come up with a gimmick where we bring a friend of a different race, you get in two for one and, and create just create a thing that I don't even know what it is, but it just sounds like something I want to do. And then I looked up within the first show we did, it was standing room only. And I was wow. like, I didn't know anybody even knew who I was or cared who I was. And mm-hmm. it means, fist, me, standing room only means like there were 80 people there. But, you know, I went from it's 80 like, people, 80 people <laughs> who were like, we're here for you. Not right. we're here because the punchline is open. Right. You know, like we're talking about people who just show up because it's like it's date night. Like Where was that are, show? It's at the Shelton Theater in San Francisco okay. on, on a. Uh, not on Powell Street, on Sutter. Okay. And so, you know, from the first moment we did the show, my wife, then girlfriend was there. I was like, oh, this is different. Like, suddenly I feel like I'm famous, and I didn't, an, an hour before the show started, I was just like, I hope people show up. Mm-hmm. And so then we did it once a month, and, we did, and I just sort of kept following that thing. Like, this is fun. I feel like the work I'm doing is the best work I've ever done. Mm. I don't know that you can make a living off of doing a show in a black box theater, but the work is good. But then... I kept doing it and kept doing it more often. The reputation spread and the media started talking about me in the Bay Area, which the media in the Bay Area doesn't really talk about, generally doesn't talk about comedians as singular individuals. Right. They need you to be doing something. Right. It's not enough just to be funny at the punchline. I've been mm-hmm. a little bit better than that, but generally they need to know what are you, you need to have a project. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me a project. So suddenly all this media people who knew who I was, who I never even knew they knew who I was, were like, W. Kamal Bell's new show. I'm like, you know who I am? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> his work has been this, but now it's this. I'm like, you followed my work? you know. <laughs> right. uh, and so... Just I started to get critical notice. I was able to go to do it in L.A. a few times. I started getting to festivals. And then that show ended up being the show that Chris Rock saw and was like, I'm going to help you get a TV show. So at the punchline, I think, if I, in my mind, going to the punchline before the bell curve, that was what was called, the W. Mm-hmm. Bell Curve ending racism in about an hour, before that show. <laughs> <laughs> Did it end racism in an hour? It did, but okay, then people good. left the room and, and then, and then it comes back, back 15 yeah. minutes later. It's yeah, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. why I never diet. You know, two days exactly. later, you yeah. gain it back. Exactly. It's the same exact thing. It's like a crash diet in racism. And then people walk out so hungry, they're like, I need some racism. <laughs> uh, so, like, 
I thought the path to TV show was going to the punchline on Sunday nights and no shade mm-hmm. to the punchline. It's a great place, but you can't just put all your cards on that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to then, and the generation of comics who are behind me know this now, you have to make your own gravy. You have to create your own projects. But I came with the generation who was like, no, you just go to the punchline and wait because that's what we had seen and heard. So, uh, you know, I thought I was trying to, I thought going to the punchline on Sunday nights and doing my 10 minute set was the path to a TV show. And really it was like, no, go do something you like and the, and, and get better at it and work at it. And if you get good enough and get lucky enough, you can end up getting a TV show. And then, and then yes. And then your peers go, how did you get a TV show? <laughs> You're like, I have no idea. I just was doing work. And so that led to that show gets canceled, but then suddenly the industry knows who I am. Right. And I took a bunch of meetings after Totally Bias was canceled to sort of figure Which out. Which was a super bummer, by the way. I mean, it, but, it's. But I yeah. mean, you're on CNN now. So yeah, no, it's. A, it's right, my, it led my you to. Living in New York, if I was still in New York doing Totally Biased, I would, I would be a very uh, uh, angry person. <laughs> yeah. If the show was a hit, it was just a lot of hard work and it took a toll on my relationships and my family. Mm-hmm. And. and I it gets know, really I, fucking hot there too. Yeah, right now. Also, yeah, you know? August is horrible. You'd be in way New more York. sweaty. You can be, be rocking that beanie sweaty. right no, now in New York. The no, the <laughs> August is my wife hates August in New York. We'd be the people where I'd be working in August and she'd be up in the Hamptons or some weird thing. Talking <laughs> to us. Suddenly she would change and our kids would be assholes. And right. So, and like that talk show grind is just like it's either a young person's game like Trevor Noah who's like a young guy with no mm-hmm. kids or no wife is able to like he does that and then he, on the weekends he goes and does stand up and he's just living his best life or it's like these <laughs> institution guys who are like this is just the job I do mm-hmm. like Conan O'Brien I this yeah. is what I do right. you know like I I don't I don't have any I don't do anything else this is the only like or Jay Leno it's just these guys who are like I'm a, this is That's the thing I job. do it's mm-hmm. like a factory yeah. and I just was like I want something that feels more creative and also works better for my family mm-hmm. and so United Shades I feel like I can get more I feel like not that United Shades is more creative than Totally Bias, but because it takes up less time, I can take on more projects and feel like I can sort of do all the creative things I want to do, and also I get to live in the Bay. Right. Yeah. That was uh, our friend, W. Kamal Bell, and CNN host, just chatting it up with him last year. It's uh, It was our 300th episode that we released and we were really stoked to sit down and speak with him. Um, he's a wonderful person. So if you don't follow him or don't know him, please do. Please follow him. He's really live on Twitter. So you can find him uh, at Twitter. And uh, we love him so much. Um, don't forget you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. You can also find us every Monday morning on bff.fm from 530 to 6. You can also find us at Cobb's Comedy Club on Sunday, September 8th. We are helping to promote a show called Really Funny Comedians Who Happen to Be Women. We will have on the show Irene Two, Natasha Muse, Sandy Steck, and it's hosted by Chelsea Bierce. You can find those tickets at Cobb's Comedy Club.com, and we hope to see you there. Bitch, please!